welcome to Slice, the podcast of the Metropolitan New York Baptist Association, or MNYBA, where we give you just a slice of what God is doing here in the metropolitan area of New York City. I'm your host, George Russ, the executive director of MNYBA, and you are about to listen to a conversation with Dr. Frankie Graham Brown. Dr. Brown is a colleague in ministry and educator, a wife, a mom, and a friend, and she recently completed a research project on servant leadership for her doctorate with Sullivan University. And this project involves some of the churches of our association. And we thought it might be a, a cool thing to ask uh, Frankie for her insights on what she learned and what it may mean for churches here in New York City. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, Dr. Graham Brown, welcome. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure to just work with all the churches in the MMYBA. It has just really been a great experience overall. So I'm doing well this morning. Yeah. Now, your husband is on staff at the Bronx Baptist Church, correct? Correct. He is one of uh, two associate pastors at Bronx Baptist Church. Right, yes, sir. right. So tell me, tell me how this, uh, th this research project came, uh, came together. What was, what was, what were you looking for? What was, what was the reason for going in servant leadership? Well, I have been working on my, my doctorate degree um, for roughly six years. And um, throughout that time, uh, it was incumbent upon me to figure out what would be the best model to use as far as research goes. And let me tell you, through those six years, I've definitely changed topics uh, a various amount of times. Um, but it wasn't until the end of last year when I really got a chance to just sit down and be still and I received, I don't know if I want to say a vision, but I received something in my heart that said, let's go the direction of servant leadership. And so with that, I decided to look into uh, the value of servant leadership and how that impacted uh, church effectiveness. And so I really used our church as the catalyst for that. Um, because on both sides of the spectrum, being a pastor's wife and being a member of the church, I saw the inner workings of the organization, and I also saw uh, the perception from being a member on how that affected the overall impact, not only Bronx had, but the other churches that we have went to go visit. And so um, with that, I decided to collaborate, or I decided to choose uh, the Metropolitan New York Baptist Association because uh, one, Bronx is affiliated with the MMYBA. Right. And there's been many different um, events that we have attended together, either uh, hosted by the MMYBA or other church events where we all both have attended together. And I just felt like a lot of the churches that we um, partner with or that we frequent um, were also under the umbrella of the MMYBA. And so, again, that dual role as a pastor's wife, meeting other pastor's wives and just being a member, I thought to myself, let's look at leadership as it stands today. You know, we are in a society where leadership has been normalized to um, focus on, you know, authoritarianism, transactional leadership, uh, even, dare I say, uh, totalitarianism. Hmm. And so I thought this can't be the normal way and it shouldn't be. Um, and unfortunately, I've seen it ooze into the church organizations as well, because the ultimate uh, issue that we were facing or that if we don't uh, hit head on 
is uh, the power dynamic. Mm. And so, as I said, I heard something in my heart say, let's look at servant leadership. And so I wanted to take away the normalization of those former leadership styles that I discussed and really talk about, well, how does servant leadership play in a pastor's role? What are pastors doing to uh, present behaviors of servant leadership? And more importantly, are the participants, are the members picking up what they're giving out? And how does it affect them ongoing? And so that's really where the idea came from. Does, uh, does the fact that we're in the Met, New York City metro, which is obviously we're known as it's a competitive, it's a driving area, it's a, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, cutthroat sometimes, you know, and you have to try to kind of force your way to the top. Does that impact the church as well? Have you seen that uh, in some of your research? Most definitely. Um, what I did prior to even going to meet with the pastors and members is that you have to, to do the research, really dig in to uh, the data to see why the research that I'm doing in particular is relevant, why it's needed. And so what I found is, I'm going to give you a couple of statistics. Um, there was a Pew Research study done in 2014, and it said about approximately 36% of New York City residents seldom open up their Bible, or they've never attended a church service. In addition to that, 67% of New York City residents reported that they've never participated in prayer, studied the scripture, or even belonged to any religious education, uh, wow. or never received religious education, particularly That's two-thirds. to, two-thirds. Correct, you know, particularly to Bible study, or even small groups. Um, the one fact that I found most astounding that really gave me the confirmation that this is the direction again to go in was when I read a poll um, that the Pew Research Study yet again did on the 50 most religious cities in the United States, where one was ranked as the most religious, had most religious affiliations, Christianity or other, and then 50 was considered at the bottom with little to no religious mm-hmm. uh, confirmations. And you know, New York City ranked 43rd. Wow. So they were at the bottom percentile, the bottom quadrant of that. And it was confirmed again by the statistics that New Yorkers aren't really interested in religion. And I won't say particularly to New York City. I'm saying that just because of the study. But, you know, I think about it because my, my, um, my doctorate and my education that I teach as a business professor um, is rooted in, in business and economics. And if we think about religion... Uh, in a business perspective, you know, if we look at the marketplace, particularly in New York City, there's so many other religions that are out there. Um, you have Christianity, have uh, Catholicism, you have um, Islam, you have all these other relationships, Mormonism. And so if you look at the marketplace, New Yorkers uh, really have a lot to choose from. It's a smorgasbord of religions. And so um, Christianity really has tough competition. It does. And, you know, and so they really have to, or we really have to do something in order to um, outshine our competitors, so to speak, and really have that competitive edge. And so mm-hmm. with the data that we have of New Yorkers, um, not even having as much of a religious affiliation, um, there's something that needs to be done. And I think servant leadership will definitely shine a light on that. So give us an overview of how the, how the research project went. Uh, what, what, you know, okay. how many churches did you, did you speak with? What, what were you, I, you mentioned maybe interviews, maybe surveys. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is the, what does the research project look like? 
Sure. So um, at, at the base of it, my, my overall goal was to talk to as many, <laughs> beginning, right, as yeah. many churches as I could. Um, so what I did is I reached out to um, a lot of the pastors of the MMYBA. I believe there was a hundred, it made over 150 churches included in uh, the MMYBA. Um, and so I reached out to 67 that met my criteria. Okay, of those 67, about 40 uh, pastors are responded back and we had a correspondence. I mean, that, that really thrills great. me. That thrills me because I, I was, you just never know really what, what the response is going yes. to be. Yeah. Yes. And um, out of that 40, I was able to actually hone in and meet 20 pastors. Mm -hmm. And so out of those 20 pastors, the MMY extends uh, with the Metropolitan New York extends through New Jersey, um, Connecticut, uh, Long Island, uh, Staten Island, right. um, you know, Bronx, Manhattan. And so I it was able to uh, secure meetings and my daughter and I, and she, I would say she really loved this part. We drove around to all the churches really? and we met with at least 10 uh, pastors in person. Um, and thankfully it was right before the COVID hit. I think my last interview was in February, mid-February. Okay. Um, and so the pastors that we didn't uh, or weren't able to meet just from conflict standpoint, we met via Skype right? or I talked on the phone. And then after I talked to them, I asked them, can you refer to me about two to three of your, your members that will be interested in taking the survey as well? And then so from that, um, that request, I was able to meet with at least 20 additional wow. church members. Wow. Um, and some of those I met in person, which was just as fun. And um, a lot of them I met via the phone. And some I met over uh, video conferencing as well. Wow. I don't know if anybody's had as much success as you have had. Because I, you know, other people around the country have asked, you know, we're doing some research. And I try to involve them. But I don't know, maybe it's just your smile or um, <laughs> something that, uh, that uh, these pastors and, and members uh, participate. That really thrills me. It was great. Let me tell you, I, I, lay, I laid it on thick. Uh, because there were a few pastors that I really, really wanted to meet with and I, I received a lot of no's I'll tell you that um but you know you never say you never let one no discourage you so when they said no I called my pastor and oh. I said pastor you know this guy and I really need him for my work um what do you think and so he said you know what let, let me talk to him and, and give a good word and you know as a result of that I received three more referrals um, and I was just able to meet with the pastors, but it was so worthwhile. It was so really? worth me just not giving up. It, it was really just the highlight of the whole thing. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that response. So uh, what, what, what were those interviews like? What, uh, what did you come up with? What did you learn? Okay. Well, what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at, particularly for pastors, I broke it up into two segments. I interviewed pastors, I interviewed members. And so for the pastors, um, I asked them a series of eight questions, um, as well as the members, I asked them a series of 10. And both were totally different, but they both were rooted in servant leadership and uh, George Barna's book, uh, Highly Effective Churches. Mm -hmm. And so I used uh, that model um, for both, as well as, um, you know, Robert Greenleaf, who's considered to be the father of servant right. leadership, right. and also Larry Spears, who conceptualized uh, the characteristics of Robert Greenleaf's work to make it more researchable for everyone else. And so I asked the pastors once a multiple, a multiple of questions, but the one question that got the attention to answer my first research question was, how do you model characteristics of a servant leader? What behaviors do you do that are related to a servant leader? 
And the top 10, um, well, there, there are 10 characteristics of servant leadership, and let me give you those, and then I'll give you context of what the responses were. Um, so servant leadership is more so defined by how well a pastor listens or a person listens, uh, the empathy, healing, awareness, uh, their ability of persuasion, conceptualization, foresight, mm. stewardship, mm. Uh, the commitment to the growth of people, and building the community. Okay, and so I asked the pastors, out of these 10, or I didn't, the thing was, I didn't even tell them what they were. I just asked them if they knew what servant leadership was, and all of them said yes. Oh. So that was the thing. I didn't want to give like a cheat sheet so they can hand pick out what their leadership theory was. I wanted to see what they generally felt they were doing to be a servant leader, and then pull from that and match it to what the characteristics were. Oh, so you let them define what they thought servant leadership mm -hmm. was and compared it yes. with what the conceptual framework was to kind of compare yes. the two. Okay. Yes. So I, I didn't tell them what they were. I wanted them to see if they knew because they already had said that they did. So the responses from the interview indicated that some of the pastor's most salient qualities were uh, awareness, persuasion, and the commitment to the growth of people. Hmm. And so when you think about awareness, it truly meant that the pastor was aware of what was going on. They were familiar with their congregation. They understood what was happening. And that really shined through from all of the interviews because a lot of the pastors had their pulse and their finger on their congregation. And I mm -hmm. found that to be warming uh, as a member. Yeah. Um, persuasion was another one. And persuasion doesn't mean, let me get you to do something. It was more so along the lines of, how well are you at influencing others? Hmm. And so one of the things that I was looking for and some of the research says that uh, the success of an organization is contingent on the leader's actions and behaviors. If a leader doesn't have the vision or has a lack of vision, churches cannot be successful. And dare I say, they won't be effective. Hmm. Um, but some of the things, and I'll tell you what shocked me before I go into the pastor, uh, the member section, is that out of the 10 that we discussed, I said that three of those were the top uh, common behaviors that pastors uh, said that they were familiar with or that they used the most. But two of the ones that were not mentioned were uh, foresight. Hmm. You have the ability to kind of look back for over your mistakes and use those for the future as well as building the community. Now, the building the community was a little bit difficult because while pastors really had objectives and they really had boots on the ground to go out there and minister to their community, a lot of them hold, held block parties and they had movie nights and they had back to school events and things of that nature. 50% of the pastors expressed that they had no real connection with the community. Hmm. Um, and a lot of that is with all the events that they did, there wasn't an immediate turnover for the members to come directly to church. Now, while everyone can admit that isn't necessarily the goal, um, the goal is just to get them to know Christ. Uh, a lot of that is, well, how are you gonna get to know Christ if you don't join a church or if you don't come and visit? And so a lot of um, the inability for the pastors to connect with the community was difficult. And if we look at what's happening in New York, you know, New York is an older town. New York is an older city. So a lot of these churches have, were resurrected in the 20s, in the 1800s, or even the 70s. And while they might have been booming at that particular time, 
you know, we're in the 21st century. So as the church has stood still, um, so to speak, the area and the community around it has really grown really and changed. changed. Yes. You know, and so it can be difficult to be insulated. One pastor said that one of the issues that we have is that we focus so much inside the four walls of the church and really didn't uh, find our footing to make an impact outside. Right, right. You know, and so that was difficult. Um, but it's something that I think the study uh, shines a light on. And while many pastors know that this is an issue, the question is moving forward, how do we get better? How do we do better? Right. How does servant leadership really apply to that? And that's what I wanted to look at. Um, when we got to the members, um, I discussed with them, uh, how is your church effective? Based on what your pastor is doing and what you see your pastor do, how do you, how do you think that his leadership behaviors are impactful, not only inside the church, but more so outside the church? Hmm. Okay. And so what we did is I uh, used the rubric of uh, the six pillars of effectiveness that George Barna, I'm sorry, that, yeah, George Barna had created. And those are uh, worship, evangelism, Christian education, community among believers, stewardship, and serving the needy. And so how was the church addressing these things inside the church um, from the leadership standpoint to ultimately create members who go out there and do the work. Um, one of the pastors really said that the work isn't done inside the church, uh, the work is done outside the church. Right, right. But it can only be done outside the church if the leader teaches us how to do it. Right. You know, effectively, because we can do our own work. We are the walking church. Um, but sometimes we get the skewed perception, right? And people don't wanna do things of the church because they see what we're doing. And right. they say, you're supposed to be a Christian. You go to church and you're, you're hanging out here with me. You know, so that was diff that's difficult, but it only comes with leadership and teaching us how to do it effectively. So let me give you what the members um, found. So out of those uh, six pillars, uh, members were asked a set of 10 questions. And so what they perceived that, of, what they perceived that were happening in the church as far as the ministries goes were, uh, many members found that the church was doing well in Christian education. Hmm. Um, community among believers was the big one. Uh, stewardship and also serving the community. So many of the members felt the engagement, the support from the, from the church members as far as creating a community. Um, Christian education was a big one. Stewardship as well. Um, but two of the things that I found um, that were... Uh, pretty interesting um, was that the members did not see any ministry uh, relative to worship nor evangelism. What, so they what, what do you think? They, what, what do they mean by that? They didn't see, uh, well, particularly with, with worship, because I'm, I'm sure they used to gathering every week, but you mean they're not yes. being trained in worship? What, what, what did that mean to you? Well, what, is, what, it, what it came down to is they didn't understand the concept of what worship was. Oh, okay. Now, at our church every Sunday, you know, the pastors say, worship with him. Let's, let's commune together and worship. Let's worship. But sometimes we tend to, uh, you know, take worship and equate that to singing, you know, and praise, um, which that is an element of. But as I continued to research, worship really meant 
what is your connection with God? Mm. How do all these things come together right. and you feel more at one with God? Yes. Um, and so that was something that they didn't see. Oh. They enjoyed church service, but they left the same way they came in. Hmm. There was no true connection. Um, and the other one was evangelism. Uh, they really did not see how it was implemented or how they were a part of it. Wow. And so those two were really concerning um, because those are really the cornerstones of what churches do, worship and evangelism. Right. Um, those are the main tenets in the majority of our churches, <laughs> vision statements and mission statements, right? That's um, right. But the thing is, the members didn't know what they truly were or how they were doing it. And it goes to a, another statistic that I wanted to um, share. Uh, current research that I found from Reach Right Studios noted that 40% of millennials have no particular religious affiliation. And then 20% of adults said that during the attending of services monthly, they didn't feel any real connection with God. And that was right in line with the research following. Right. Um, and so that was a big one. And that's, that's what I found. And so as I was doing the majority of the work, those were some of my um, findings. And then what uh, all doctorate students tend to do, especially um, those in the PhD, because it's rooted in methodology and theory. Um, I was tasked the, I was given the task of creating or developing a theory. And so the theory that I created from this information uh, was the theory of ministry transparentness. Huh. And so what the theory says is that in order to be a church's commitment to be effective and designed to confront today's societal nuances requires an actualization of ministry transparentness. Now, that means it provides role clarity because a lot of members were unfamiliar with um, what was their role in church? Hmm. New members, continuing members. Um, it also uh, cultivates relational equity. It develops substantive ministries, demonstrates scriptural application, and facilitate steward acumen. So those are the five uh, factors that I was able to collect from the data and really develop uh, as far as what ministries need in order to be effective and for pastors uh, to be serving leaderships, they need to understand how these things impact their church. Wow. So uh, give me two things you would say, hey, MNYBA, this is what I, this is what I learned and this might help you as you uh, minister as a church do you have a do you have a couple of conclusions or um oh, takeaways? yes, most, de yes well, most definitely um some of the things that i realized that we need to do is uh churches or even pastors uh they need to, to really put their put their fingers on the pulse of what's happening with their members um some members regarded that some pastors were you know busy 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 you know they had a lot of different things going on and sometimes they really just couldn't sit still and pay attention to what's happening in the uh -huh. church um, some of it is that they just needed to really focus in and see what needed to be done and provide that leadership. Because there's a saying is, as the leader goes, so goes the church. Sure. Right. You know, and so one of the things that we needed to do, especially as leaders, and we can take away from this information, is that we can really slow down and understand what impacts our church members. Mm -hmm. What do church members need from their leaders? You know, they already uh, want the leaders or they want the leaders to listen. They want the leaders to be empathetic. 
They want them really to uh, integrate these uh, characteristics of servant leadership. Um, but more so, they are hungry for scripture. They are hungry to figure out how to make today's scripture line up with what's happening today. Lord, why are things happening the way they are? What's happening in our politics? Is the end times coming? Feed me with information. Show me how the scripture makes sense or doesn't make sense of what's happening. And how can I share that with others? Well, that's a biggie. Wow, that is like the, the, the climate that we're in right now with the pandemic yes. and protests and yeah. politics and all the other things that are happening. What a what what a challenge for pastors and leaders to be able to connect scripture yes. with what's happening. That's that's a big one. But it's it's imperative for the pastors to know that they should not go at this alone. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it it takes a, a village is another adage that we can say. And so, you know, focus on the infrastructure that's set up. It's important for leaders to make leaders. You know, so pastors can't do it all on their own. They have to uh, buy in or, 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 or teach their, their associate pastors, create a strong infrastructure with their deacons and their ministry boards, and, you know, create ministries that are really going to help what's happening uh, in reality uh, for what the members need or even potential members need. And so I would also say another thing that as uh, scholars could do, you know, seminaries can really take information um, from this uh, research study and focus on teaching more so about leadership. You know, uh, a lot of seminaries, and my husband and I, we both teach at a, a theological seminary and a Bible college online. And I teach the business components and he teaches the theology, but it's also important to marry them. A lot of the students that we teach are going to be uh, Christian counselors or they're going to be pastors or they're gonna work for nonprofit agencies. And you just can't keep them in one silo of just theological doctrine. They have to know about Christ. They have to prepare themselves. But we also have to look at the church as an organization. You have to learn how to deal with people. You have to learn how to run the departments. And so that's where the empathy, the listening, the awareness comes in, and really your ability to serve others. We can't, as leaders, just be out there in the forefront but not be willing to humble ourselves and work in the background as well. So, so tell me if this is fair, then pastor leaders have to be, have to listen, to be empathetic so that they can help their members see the connection between their life and the scripture. Is, is that what you're saying? They, yes. It, yes. It, it all works together. Some of the things, and like I said, part, part of the ministry transparentness is that there are five essential things that pastors can take away. They have to build relationships, have relational equity. What that means is, are you invested in your members? Do you know your right. members by name? Right. Um, you know, we all know our pastors by names, but do you know what's really happening? That could be difficult, but that makes a big difference on how long members stay, their commitment to the organization, and even the success of the organization. Right. Um, and also, uh, stewardship. Are you sharing your talents? I am, what, what are we doing to, to bring out the best in me as a member? How do I even know what ministry I'm supposed to serve on if I have no idea what my, my spiritual mm. gifts are? Right. Um, and so it's important for us to learn these things. And as a, as a leader and uh, as someone who can curate a team, we have to look at these elements and see, are, the, are we doing the right things, not only for inside the church, but outside the church? Right. So it's all rooted in scriptural application investments of relationships 
um, what ministries are we using and how are we using them? We have so many ministries in our church that are outdated, that are antiquated, just for the sake of we've always had them this way. Um, but I've met a lot of pastors who have had grieving ministries, uh, substance abuse ministries, ministries for widows, and different things like that, because that's what the people need. And that's where their support comes from. And it's grounded in a Christian love. And then let me see. Um, and then just roll clarity was the major one. Um, I am a member. What do I do now? We have a lot of members. I remember one of the pastors in Connecticut said that we don't want um, pew servers. Okay. We want people who actually get out the pew and do the work. But a lot of us go to church and we leave on Sunday and we don't know what's happening with the church and how we can serve. And so the only way to do that is to get involved. And we have to create an environment of, of love that gets people to want to stay. I say some of the greatest churches and some of the best churches that I've been involved in is when church service is over and we're still standing out in the parking lot. Yeah, right. You know, hours later, devising the plan, checking in on family and things like that because it's a sense of community. And then we take that enthusiasm for each other and we share it outside of the church. Wow. Did, um, did this whole pandemic just kind of make it harder or do you think it impacted what your findings were? You know, I'm, I'm having a discussion um, for, my, for my college and faculty today and I'm talking about how to, uh, what are the practical implications of servant leadership behaviors in a pandemic? And I'm just changing it from the church organization to the academic setting. Yeah. And what I find is uh, it's even more imperative right now because servant leadership requires empathy, um, servitude, uh, stewardship. Are we, are we just calling up our friends and, and sending cakes, sending pies? Um, are we really paying attention to what people need? Right. And so it's imperative right now than anything, um, since we can't physically meet with our members, to figure out how to do Zoom, figure out how to do YouTube, right. figure out how to do Facebook. Um, the relational equity portion is now more so vital than it was before because you really have to put the effort forth. And if my pastor calls me or if a member picks up that phone and their pastor's on the other line, that speaks uh, volumes to their commitment when we are to go back and resume service. Right. Because they'll say, you know what, he thought about me and I'm going to do my best to think about someone else. And so what the leader does, the member follows. And then there's a domino effect on that. Wow. But it can be difficult because the pandemic has really challenged the church to get outside of their comfort zone. Oh, a wow. lot of churches uh, didn't have, and the reason why I only was able to reach a few of the churches um, from that group, because uh, a lot of the churches that were on the MMYBA site, their websites weren't active. You know, the links were broken. Um, I called some of the churches and that pastor who was on the church sign wasn't there anymore. Um, you know, so a lot of that is miscommunication. And if I can't get in touch with you, how can a struggling soul reach out and find a home if right. they don't have a connection? Right, right. So what happens next? You say you have your defense of your project coming up in a couple of days. Yes. Uh, I see you smiling. I, I, you're not terrified of that? <laughs> oh, you know, very much so. Oh, okay. Very much so. Um, I, I think... Um, there's going to be a definite, I, I get 60 minutes to share my findings. Um, luckily, I have slides for that, right? And, uh, and then the grueling part is I have 
my committee of three and the other faculty to come back after they've either read my uh, work or they've attended their presentation and just ask me the whole so what of it. So why'd you do this? Why should we care? Why is this relevant? Um, and so I really had to use persuasion, right? One yeah. of the elements of servant leadership um, to let them know why this is important. Um, but I truly think, and the goal of this afterwards is just to educate, 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 educate. Um, I want to share as much as I can uh, the whole, res the whole uh, gamut of results or either just piecemeal them to where they're applicable. Um, like I said, I'm doing a, a, a presentation for uh, my college and I'm just flipping that a little bit into how that benefits staff and faculty in, in higher education. Um, because servant leadership isn't isolated or exclusive to church. Sure. Um, we know, you know, the greatest servant leader is Jesus Christ. Um, but yet still, he doesn't appeal to everybody. And that's what we said earlier, because we're leaving New York City. Um, so you can still present or you can still demonstrate those active characteristics of servant leadership, but just from a different thought process. Wow. So that so that's that's how this project is also going to affect your your professional teaching career, right? And that's what you say. Oh, yes. is, uh, uh, so you teach business or management at, at at what school? I teach at Mercy College. Mercy. Okay. And so I uh, teach uh, business classes, business ma business management classes, as well as economics. And I also am an online uh, faculty at South Florida Theological Seminary and Bible College. Wow. And there I teach business classes to do. Uh, potential, you know, pastoral students. So at Mercy College, which is a, is it a Catholic school, a Catholic college? No, I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I'll be honest. Oh my gosh. I'm not quite sure what their affiliation is. Um, but I know it's, it's a public university and uh, I don't think they have one particular faith. Um, it's never been discussed. I don't think, um, but it doesn't shy away from the fact that me as a model uh, and a paradigm of servant leadership that I am supposed to display that to my to my students. Wow. So one of the things that I enjoy, and I consider myself, I've always considered myself, my husband and I both, servant leaders, even before we read into the study. Because as we were going through it, we were like, wow, we do that. We serve first. We think about ourselves last. You know, we make sure that other people are taken care of. Um, and so I just do that with my students as well. I'm, I'm very personable. And you know, you're able to contact me at any time. I am still a current student who works and you know, who does research as well as my students are. So there is grace given um, to that because I understand where they are. And I haven't been removed from school that long. You know, I don't wanna date <laughs> myself too much, um, but I understand. I think I have more grace because I've been through it. So it helps out. Wow. Well, I really enjoyed getting this, this, this time with you. Thank and you. thank you for the effort you put forth to just get around the, the city. I mean, just to see the, the number of passions oh, that yeah. you did. That's, you know, for anybody that doesn't live around here, doesn't realize, you know, three miles can take an hour and a half, right? That, that's the you're truth. So close, I, I so think the I, longest drive we did was we went to, um, we went to Jersey, a Raritan Valley, New oh, yeah. Jersey. Oh, yeah. And it was the, it was the longest track, but yes. it was the most rewarding a visit once you got there. It made it all worth it. Every oh, single mile that we traveled, um, it was worth it. Wow. Well, I, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more from uh, your research and uh, and how this can help us uh, be be better Christians and better servants of, of Jesus Christ. So thank you for taking time this morning to do that.
and, and to be on our, uh, our Slice podcast. It's a real honor to have you. I just admire your work and uh, look forward to talking with you again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me anytime, anytime. God bless. It's a real pleasure. And uh, thanks for listening to Slice. I'm your host, George Russ. We'll see you next time.